I love that when I thought I lost me. I love that song because it's like, it's all of our testimony, right? I mean, honestly, I, I sit back there sometimes, I get all teary thinking about my life before Christ and how he, how he totally transformed my life. And I love just singing that song. And uh, it's our testimony. It's our testimony, all of our testimonies. Um, you know, it's our desire here at Grace Chapel to make sure that every single person in this church who's a part of this church, I don't care if they come once every three or four months, um, that you feel loved and that you feel connected. And it's not just, it's not just my desire, the leadership's desire, you know, staff and elders. It's, it's God's desire as well. In John chapter 17 and verse 21, Jesus says his desire is that all, that all of them may be one. That we would all be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also, listen to what he says, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. What a powerful message to all of us. That as we're one, as we're one in Christ, but as we're one body, Jesus' body, as we're one in Christ, it shows the world. It shows the world the truth of the gospel. I find that totally amazing. It just, you know, it, it should keep us on track, too, as we're, as the body of Christ. To, you know, one of the things we here at Grace Chapel we talk about is health. We want a healthy church. Healthy things grow. We stay healthy. We're going to continue to grow, see people come to Christ. God wants us to be healthy. And as we're healthy, the world looks at that and says, man, I want that. I, I want to be a part of something like that. When they see churches, you know, just at each other's throats or carrying on or all that kind of thing. It's just people look at it and go, man, I thought they were supposed to be. It's so powerful when we're one in one in Christ and when we become one with each other. Um, we have an opportunity this summer, this summer to help with that. OK, through our through our, our, our summer community groups. And the first one of the first one of our summer community groups is next Sunday after second service. And it's going to be here on our campus. You can come. And again, it's just a great time to connect, to, to develop that connection with other people. A lot of times Sunday, it's like uh, summer is like, well, you know, you know, when September rolls around, then we'll start getting connected. No, this summer is a great, great time to connect with the body of Christ. So many of you involved in life groups, right? And so life groups kind of a lot of them stop in the summertime. And so you're like, you're missing that fellowship. This is a great opportunity to reconnect with different people within your life group. There are also people here this morning who just want to get to know other people. You just like to get to know some other people. This is this will help with that as well. And then there are those who I've been thinking about, you know, I really want to join a life group, but there's no life group going on right now. This will connect you. OK, so when September rolls around, you can get involved in a life group. So it meets all of those different needs. And there are three couples who are going to help with that this summer. Um, Andrew and Jamie Schechner are one. And then uh, Andrew, are you here? I, th- I think Andrew's right over here. So can you I don't mind embarrassing. So just stand up for one quick second. Andrew's one of our elders, okay? So he'll be helping out with that. And then Sean and Andrea, I know you guys are over here. So can you stand up too, just real quick? And um, just both of you. 
See? <laughs> She's just as important. You stand up. So they'll be out, and you, they'll be, these guys will be out in the foyer afterwards um, to connect with you. And then, uh, then Brian and Trish uh, Wilder will be there as well. You guys can sit. Thank you so much. They'll be out there. So I just wanted you to see them and be able to connect with them and see their faces. They'll be out at the table, and you can ask them questions, just get involved. Now, I know some people are probably thinking, um, Gosh, you know, that's, uh, I'm not sure if I want to do that. That doesn't seem like it's for me stepping out of my comfort zone. But let me tell you something. Whenever you step out of your comfort zone, God does something unexpected. God moves in unexpected ways. When we choose to move out of our comfort zone and try something new and do something new, God moves almost every single time. He moves in unexpected ways. So why not come and see, right? That's what this series is all about. Come and see. Why not next week start and just come and see and build those relationships? Um, that leads right into our story this morning. Kind of leads right into it. We're, in, we're going to be in John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6. And John chapter 4 verses 1 through 6 it says this. Now when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. Although Jesus himself did not baptize but only his disciples. He left Judea and departed again for Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar. Near the field that Jacob had given to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, weary as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. So you have Jesus and he's making this journey and he has to go through Samaria. Okay. Um, this was, this was interesting. Jesus heads to Galilee, passes through Samaria. This is not something that Jewish people wanted to do. Okay, if they could, they'd go all the way around Samaria, but he couldn't. It was a kind of a direct line, so he had to go through Samaria. But in general, in general, this is not what Jewish people wanted to do. They didn't want to have anything to do with putting their feet on the ground where the Samaritans were. The Samaritans were a racially mixed group of people. They were part Jewish and they were part Gentile. So neither Jewish people nor the Gentiles liked them at all. And the word hate would be a perfect word in this situation. Couldn't stand the Samaritans, okay? No one could stand them except themselves. The Samaritans also had their own version of the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Old Testament. So they, they kind of rivaled uh, the, you know, Jerusalem. They were trying to rival there. So they had their own Pentateuch and their own temple on Mount Gerizim which will become really important later on in our story. So they had their own temple, um, and they had their own kind of Pentateuch, and so there was this, there was this um, uh, conflict, if you will, with uh, what they would consider the pure Jews of that time in Jerusalem. So Jesus, it's about noon, Jesus is really, really tired, and so he goes and he rests at, the Jake, at Jacob's well. So now what I want to do is I want to read on and see what we can learn. What can we learn from this story about an encounter with Jesus? What happens when we actually have an encounter with Jesus? See, a lot of people are religious. You can come to, you can come to church every day your whole life and never actually have a true encounter with Jesus. Okay? That's important to understand. What is it, what is it, what happens when we have a real, true encounter with Jesus? And this story helps us 
to get to that point. So first, when you have an encounter with Jesus, it's, it's usually not what you expect. It's not what you expect. In verses 7 through 9, it says this, A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, you know the background now, ask for a drink from me, a woman from Samaria? You got two things going on here. Number one, she's a woman, okay, at that time. All right, she's a woman, and men usually didn't kind of interact with women that way, asking for things like that. And she was a Samaritan woman, so it makes it even more like shocking that he would be in this conversation with her. For the Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. So his encounter with her is, is unexpected in a few ways here. For one thing, it's noon. It's noon, and she probably doesn't expect to see anyone at the well. Most of the time, people would go to the well either in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. All right, so she unexpectedly um, sees Jesus there, and unexpectedly, he's asking, he's talking to her, and she doesn't expect really to, almost to see anyone at the well at that point because they usually go, like I said, in the morning or in the evening when it was cooler. Not only that, she probably went to the well when she did to avoid seeing anyone else because of her background. So she's not expecting to interact with anyone that day, let alone not knowing, she didn't know at this point, but the Son of God, right? So he's there. She's also surprised, again, that a Jew, she knew Jesus was Jewish, and she's surprised that a Jew would even talk to her because Jews hated Samaritans, all right? Hated them. So that that shocked her as well. Most of the Jews um, in this situation wouldn't talk to her also because the Samaritans to the Jews would be considered unclean. So if I interacted with someone, then I would be unclean. Jesus, though, interacts with her, starts talking to her, you know, discussing things with her. And he's not concerned at all that she's going to make him unclean. So she's surprised also that... Uh, again, I'm just kind of going through the surprises here. A, at any, in any situation that a man would interact with a woman in this, in this, in this scenario. Um, it probably wouldn't be normal culturally for a person, a man, to start up a conversation, a casual conversation, okay, like Jesus did. He, he's just, he breaks all the rules, okay? They make them, he breaks them, because they're not, they're not God's rules, okay? So, Jesus sitting down, he's casually sitting there, she's getting water, and he strikes up a conversation with her. Maybe ignoring someone because they, they both have to be there would be normal. This to her, okay, the Samaritan woman, she, this is completely abnormal, okay? Totally unexpected. That she'd be having this this casual conversation with Jesus. Very unexpected. I want you to think about this too. Um, When it comes to having an interaction, okay, or engaging with Jesus Christ, we all have expectations when we come to interact with Jesus. In prayer, when you go to Jesus Christ in prayer, you have certain expectations of him. And I find, in my experience, I don't know about you, I think yours as well, I find in my experience, it's usually different than what I was thinking. 
You think about your, if you've been a Christian for a while, you think about your interaction with God. You think about your interaction with Jesus Christ. It's usually not what you were thinking. You thought, you thought you'd go into this conversation. You thought you'd go into prayer. You thought you'd go into the, this experience and so, this would happen. But usually something totally different happens than what you were expecting. You ask him a question, you usually, usually get an answer totally different Okay, then you expected to hear. You pray, you ask Jesus for something, and you get the answer. And the answer is usually different than you expected you were going to hear. I expected, I expect God to, to, um, to guide my life, for example. I expect Jesus to guide my life down one path, and what does he do? He leads me down another my expectation was I'm going to, you know, I'm going to start here and at a certain point I'm going to be there. But in reality, at a couple of years, I end up there. But I expected God, I, I made a plan, guys. I made a plan. And for goodness sake, you'd think that God would understand my plan, right? And if I said I want to go here, I'd be there. But no, I end up there. So I expect one thing, and usually I get another. Um, I expect him to bless my plans, all right, and he usually changes my plans. I'm like, Lord, I mean, I, you know, I have these plans. You know, you created me, you've gave me a, you've given me a mind and a heart, and I have these, and then you change my plans. I expect him, I expect God, I expect Jesus to fix my problems. Instead, he tells me to trust him. I mean, to be patient. No, I want them fixed right now. And what Jesus usually says to me is, listen, you trust me. Trust me. I want you to be, I need you to be patient. I expect, I expect Jesus to teach me one thing. And then he goes and teaches me something totally different. I mean, for example, I ask him to give me strength in the moment. Give me strength in this moment. And he teaches me instead perseverance. At the end of when all said and done, I'm asking for strength in the moment. And what he teaches me usually gives me strength in the moment. But he also, through that whole experience, teaches me perseverance. So what I'm expecting one thing and I get something totally different. And I think Jesus does that. He does it a lot. Okay, he does it often to let us know. All right. I'm in control and my way is better. Your finite mind and my infinite mind are not always, uh, you know, are not always on the same track. And so he teaches us that, you know, whatever, whatever we, we, we think, uh, he's going to switch it around often because he's in control. And I, I was thinking maybe we should just learn to expect the unexpected. How's that? Right? At the end of the day, what we should do when we go before God, when we live our lives, we should expect the unexpected. Because when you have that experience with Jesus Christ, okay, when you have that interaction with Jesus Christ, you better expect the unexpected. Second, he answers questions you didn't even know you had. Think about that. When you have that interaction with Jesus Christ, he answers questions you didn't even know you had. Verses 10 through 15 says this. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. 
Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks from this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. She brings up, she's thinking one thing and Jesus is teaching, again, teaching something totally different here. At first... She's focused on the water. She didn't know anything about living water. She never, she never heard of living water. She's coming to the well. She's getting her water. She's going back home. She interacts with Jesus. She's thinking about well water. And he starts talking about living water. Jesus changes up the whole conversation. He changes the whole conversation. She never realized she needed living water. So she didn't even know to ask for it. Didn't even know, to, didn't even know to, to, to ask for it. Jesus answers questions she didn't even know she had. That's what Jesus does in our lives. He answers questions, I'm telling you, from the beginning of your walk with Jesus Christ. He is answering questions you didn't even know you had. What's funny is, what's funny is once he brings it up and explains it to her, she's in with both feet, man. She jumps in. If we're talking about water, she jumps in the water with both feet. She may not understand it all yet, but that's not going to stop her. All right? The truth is sinking in. She doesn't have a full grasp on it yet, but she is in. I like this idea. Give me this water. If you think about it, now she, he starts out by asking her for water, right? And then by the end of the conversation so far, she starts asking him for water, living water. I want this water. I want what you're offering. Okay, you're asking me for a cup of water. Here you go. I want now she turns it around and she starts asking him. She starts asking him for a drink. I can relate to this part of the story so much. I just thought about it in my own walk with Christ before I knew Jesus. I knew, you guys can relate to this. Before I knew Christ, I knew I was missing something. I just didn't know what I was missing. My heart, there was some, there was a, a void in my life. I knew as I walked through life, and I, the older I got, the more I realized that there's something in this life that I'm missing, and I didn't even know what it was. I didn't know what it was. I certainly didn't know what to ask for. If I didn't know what it was, how would I know what to ask for? But I knew I was missing something in my life. When someone introduced me to Christ, when I was, when I was finally introduced to Jesus Christ, it started, he started revealing truth to me that I never even considered in this life. God started revealing things to me and truths to me about the world and how things work and understanding people and all. He started revealing truth to me that I never, that I never even, even considered and didn't even know I needed, let alone know to ask for it. And that's what's happening here. That's what's beginning to happen here. Jesus, when you interact with Jesus, he starts, he starts answering questions that you didn't even know you had, let alone the ability to ask those questions. 
It's awesome. Your mind expands spiritually, emotionally. It changes you emotionally. It changes you spiritually. It changes you in every way. Because He knows me better than I know me. He, he was, like I said, he was, he was laying out truth to me that I never even considered, but I, I knew I was missing something. I just didn't know how to ask for it. And all of a sudden, Jesus, I have an encounter with Jesus. And all of a sudden, wait a second. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Before I came to know Jesus Christ, this life made no sense to me whatsoever. How people use, how the words that people use, good and evil, right and wrong, um, how people live their lives, and people say, oh, people are really good at heart, and all that kind of stuff. If you grew up the way I grew up, and a lot of the way some of you grew up, the idea that, oh, all people are really good at heart, it's a crock. It's ridiculous to say that. But that's the world in which we live. And then you walk around going, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. You cannot live out the worldview that they're telling you to live out. And if you have any kind of mind, when you walk around, you realize, I cannot live out a worldview that I'm in right now. It makes no sense. But then all of a sudden, Christ, I have an encounter with Christ, and I realize everybody has a sinful nature. That makes sense. But if they come to know Him, they can be transformed, and they can grow and become stronger. People are created by God, but they have a sinful nature because of the fall. Okay, well, they can, they can do amazing things sometimes. They can do horrible things sometimes. C.S. Lewis said people are neither totally sincere or totally hypocritical. Their moods change, their motives are mixed, and they're often quite mistaken as to what their motives are. Bam! Exclamation point. I totally agree. That makes sense. The other stuff doesn't make any sense at all. So when Christ came into my life, I was like, okay, finally, finally, someone's asking the right questions. Someone's giving the right answers. Even though I didn't know how to ask for them, my encounter with Jesus changed everything. And that's what he begins to do with this woman. But then he goes even further. Third, an encounter with Jesus tells you who you are. When you have an encounter with Jesus, when I had a a personal encounter with Jesus Christ when I was 17 years old, he told me who I was. I was, I was, I was confused. I didn't understand. And all of a sudden, I get this encounter with Jesus. And when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, whether you're the Samaritan woman or you're Jeff or you're anybody else in the room, he tells you who you are. Verses 16 through 19 continue. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. If for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband, what you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I love this. Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. <laughs> I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know why it strikes me funny, but it's like he just tells her basically, you know, her life story. And she's like, I perceive that you're a prophet. Yeah, you got that right, lady. And a lot more. OK, a lot more than that. Jesus knows exactly who this woman is. Tells her everything about, she, he tells her everything about herself. An encounter with Jesus tells us who we are. If you do not have an encounter with Jesus Christ, you do not know, you, you do not know your true identity. Only when you have an encounter with God, only when you have a true encounter with Jesus Christ, can you know who you, you, who you truly are, your true identity. That's when it comes. Fifth, 
when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ, he gets right to the point, right? Which is awesome. For a lot of people, they don't like it, but for other people, it's great. Gets right to the point. In verse 20, it continues. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, she was saying. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. I don't know about you, but it just, I know we read through this stuff, but can you imagine the emotions now that she's going through? Because he didn't say that and then tell her her life story. He tells her her life story and then he says that. So he's got some backing here. Because this isn't like, you know, magic kind of stuff where he studied her life and I'm a traveling, you know, whatever, and I'm going to trick you. Um, He shows up at a well, she shows up at a well, never seen her before, and bam, tells her a life story. And now he says, I am the Messiah. I am the Christ. Throughout the discussion, we see that Jesus always gets right to the point. He gets, he gets right to the point, which means don't, don't pray and ask a question if you don't want an answer you're not going to like. Right? Kind of what I was saying before. You ask for one thing sometimes, you get something that little, a little different because God knows what's best for you. But don't pray and ask a question, okay, if you're, that, you know, that you don't, you're, you, you don't like the answer because it's going to come. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, sometimes you're going to ask a question, um, but I'm just saying to you, don't ask a question where you don't want an answer that sometimes you're not going to like because Jesus gets right to the point. I have had interactions with where I, I disagree with my wife on something. We never argue, but no. Um, we, <laughs> we get into an argument and, um, and I'll, I say this to people I do premarital counseling to all the time. When you get into dis, a, a disagreement and you're, and you're not, it's like a, a, a block. You're not getting anywhere. I said, walk away. Don't, you know, don't, you don't leave. Just walk away. Maybe go to different parts of the house or something. And then ask God, show me where I'm wrong. Because I, I, there have been times in my life, I mean this sincerely, where if God, the Father himself, came down and asked me when I disagree with someone here or disagree with my wife or anybody, um, if he said, do you think you're right? I'd say, absolutely. 100%. 100%. Why are you asking the question, God? And he, if he said, would you bet your life on it? I'd say, what does 100% mean? Right? I'd be dead so many times. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He'd be raising me back from the dead over and over. Because when you sit down with God and you say, show me. Because what's what I tell people to do? Sit back and say, Lord, show me where I'm wrong. Because you think you're right and the other person is completely wrong. But what God does, he shows you, even if you're 20% wrong, he points out the 20% to you. He gets right to the point. She may have or he may have said that, but did you need to respond this way? Was that warranted? Maybe the person started it, but then instead of responding in a Christ-like way, you escalated it by. And that's what God says in your heart. 
So if you don't, don't ask them questions, okay, if you can't handle the answer, because God always gets right to the point, and usually the point is at you saying, hey, you may be only 30% wrong or whatever else, but here's where you're wrong. Here's where you need to repent, okay, and change your attitude. That's how God works. Jesus quickly reveals her sin to her. See, when we truly encounter Jesus Christ, we, we, we can be certain, okay, that Jesus is going to get to the heart of the matter. I have an encounter. Get ready because Jesus will get to the heart of the matter regardless of how much we try to avoid it. That's why when people come to know Christ, they recognize their sin. You know, in, in order for you to come and, and have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have to recognize your sin. Your sin, God points that out to you. You begin to recognize your own sin. Why do you think David was called a man after God's own heart? He sleeps with Bathsheba, does all these things, basically kills Uriah the Hittite by sending him to the front lines. Then he's walking around and, and, and Nathan comes to him and tells him that story about the little lamb and, and how he took it away from the poor guy. And David's like, off with his head. And Nathan says, you are the man. That's when he recognized it. He didn't say, well, off with your head, Nathan. Tell me I'm the king. He took it. He owned it. You are the man. Recognize his sin. Got right to the point. Jesus, God's prophet, got right to the point. God gets right to the point. And when we get right to the point, we need to be able to be spiritually and emotionally mature enough to handle it. Because that's what's going to happen. Regardless of how much we try to avoid it. See, here's the thing. I was thinking about this. This culture, honestly, Christian culture, but I'm talking culture in general, they'll, they'll let you have your Jesus, okay? They'll let you have your Jesus. But it's gotta be a tame Jesus. It's gotta be a watered down Jesus. It's gotta be a totally accepting Jesus. But you, you can have your Jesus. There's a problem with that though, okay? Because that's not real. There, you know, it's why people are religious, Alright, and then they come along and they say religion is boring. What do I always say? God's not boring. You're boring. Right. It's not God who's boring. It's because you, you, because people create this little tame, oh, Jesus is so cute. You know what I mean? They, they, they create this tame, watered down, non-powerful little Jesus that fits into everybody's worldview, and that's not the Jesus that we worship. So they have this, so a lot of people come to church and they have religion where that's Jesus, but then they think as they go through life and it's not working, their religion's not working, they say, oh, it's not working or it's boring. The problem is God is working, you're not. God's not boring, you are. That's the reality. Because Jesus will get right to the point and tell you what the truth is. Fifth. When you have an encounter with Jesus, he brings clarity, okay? She brings up a question that was bothering her for a long time. She's sitting there. Now she's realizing a little bit, okay, who am I dealing with here? So she brings it up. She says, well, you know, she says in the beginning, we talked about in the beginning, I said this would, uh, would work into our story. But the Samaritans had their own Pentateuch first, and then they had their own temple on Mount Grism. But the Jews had a temple in Jerusalem. So she knows Jesus is a Jew, so he worships in Jerusalem. So she says, can you please explain this dilemma? Can you please explain this discrepancy between my people and their tradition and your people and your tradition? And Jesus explains to her, those who truly worship God must worship him in spirit and in truth. And that's always been the case. 
That's always been the case, that if you worship God, you need to worship Him in spirit and in truth. What we do is we get distracted, okay, we get distracted and we get, we get uh, confused by all the traditions that we go through in life sometimes, all the things that we get engaged in traditionally in religion and our emotions. And we miss, honestly guys, we, we, we in the church often miss what's truly important. We get so caught up and we are, churches split over the most ridiculous things. We forget what's truly important. Churches will fight. They will fight tooth and nail about the type of music that we play during our time of worship. Fight over it while never truly worshiping God. That's, it, 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 we, will, we sometimes care more about the style of music and the style of worship, we care more about the style of worship than we do the heart of worship. That's where the song came from. That heart of worship song that Jen was playing, that's why she plays it, because she reads the sermon and she weaves all that in. That's why I always say, the sermon starts way before I get up here and start talking. But coming back to the heart of worship, the church was all over the place with their worship, and the senior pastor basically said, we're not playing anymore. We're going to just say this over and over and over again for a long time. Coming back to the heart of worship. People are concerned way more with the style of worship than their heart for worship. That's what that song is talking about. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. When you have an encounter, a true encounter with Jesus, okay, he's going to bring clarity to your situation. You need clarity in your situation, you need clarity in your life, then you need to sit down, take the time, put everything else aside, and have a true encounter with Jesus Christ. Because he's going to get right to the point, and he's going to bring clarity to your situation. Number six and last, an encounter with Jesus Christ changes us, okay? It changes our lives and shows us our true purpose. When you have an encounter, when I have an encounter with Jesus Christ, he changes our lives and he shows us our true purpose. Verses 27 through 42. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman, but no one said, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left uh, left with her jar, water jar and went away into town and said to the people, Come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. So they all start, we check this out. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows, another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. 
Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, it is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and we, and we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. This is the part of the story that basically excites me the most. Okay? This gets, I, I just love, I love reading this. It excites me the most. Jesus unexpectedly changes her life. Can you imagine this woman, all she's been through, what she experienced? You know, the, the, the songs that we sing and the things that we say, and, and we don't take them all to heart. Okay? This woman's background, not too good. But then Jesus unexpectedly changes her life forever. And if here's, I'm going to say this, this is important, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, And you have fallen short. You have sinned. You have the blood of Christ that covers you. Do you not? I don't think Christians understand that. You are perfect in standing with God. He has transformed your life through the blood of Jesus Christ. If you've asked him into your heart, he's covered you with his blood. When the Father, when the Father in heaven looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus standing in front of you. So we walk around like, oh, I'm so horrible. I'm so terrible. I did this or I did that. Okay, you did it. Ask for forgiveness. You've repented. Okay, once you've repented and Christ, you ask Christ to forgive you, He's forgiven you. Your sin is separated as far as the east is from the west. It's done. It's over. And when you don't hold that truth in your life, and I'm not saying this to be aggressive or mean, but you're calling God a liar. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have fallen short in your life and you're still holding on to those things, it's kind of like calling God, it's not kind of like it's calling God a liar so quit doing it the cool thing about this is that she comes in with all this baggage she sits down and she has an experience with Jesus Christ and it totally changes her life her life is unexpectedly changed forever she's in She's in, man. She's in. I remember getting saved and I raised my head from my prayer. I was in. Man, I was like, okay, now life begins. Now I understand. Now I want, I didn't want to go to college when I was, I graduated, I, I hated school. Moved around from place to place. School was over. It was done. But all of a sudden, I know I wanted to be a pastor. In order for me to be a pastor, I had to go to school. And so I jumped in both feet. I went to a Christian college. I went to a Bible school when I was only a Christian for six months. Six months. Guys, I didn't even know who... I knew who Moses was because at Easter they played Moses. You know what I mean? So I knew he was that bearded guy who parted the sea. Other than that, that was the extent of my biblical knowledge. And I went. Why? Because my life was changed. He unexpectedly changed my life. He unexpectedly changes her life. And she believes that he's a Messiah. And everything that comes with it. Man, she was in. She was in. And I can, I can see why. How many times does it really say? I mean, he told me everything about my life. Details. Can you? I mean, I know the Bible doesn't give us every word, every conversation Jesus ever had. Can you imagine the conversation? And I'm just, I don't know. Maybe that's all he said. I think he said more. Can you imagine the conversation the two of them had? This woman, the disciples come, they're scratching their heads, wondering why this conversation's even happening. She takes that time to get out of town. She runs back to town and she's like, you have got to hear this. 
She's like, she's just all, she, she's so fired up. When the disciples return, they're basically surprised, okay? They come over, they're just at a distance. All of a sudden, Jesus is sitting there, surprised to see him hanging out with a Samaritan in the first place, and then actually talking to her. They're probably sipping water, having the conversation, and the disciples are like shocked. And while again, while they come and they're, they're interacting with him, she she gets and she takes off with her with her with her jar of water. She leaves and uses Jesus uses the opportunity when she leaves. It's just it's just them now. Now it's just Jesus and the disciples and they're scratching their heads. Right. And Jesus, again, uses this opportunity to do something and teach something to them. That's totally unexpected. While they're wanting to talk about the unorthodox conversation that he's having with this woman, Jesus then says, listen to me, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of people out there who need to hear the gospel. Okay, there's a lot, there are a lot of people and people that you would not expect. These are all my children. I want them all to come to me. I wish that none would perish, but all come to repentance. There's a lot of people out there who need to hear the gospel. You guys are all, you guys are worrying about the wrong thing because she just went back to town. He's God. He knows this. Stirred them all up and got them all fired up. And now they're coming. He's saying, hey, lift up your eyes. There's a lot of people who need to hear the gospel. And not a moment too soon, because just like I said, she went back to town. And the same woman who went there in the afternoon because she didn't want to talk to anybody or interact with anybody, now runs back to town and she's interacting with anybody who... When I, I'm just going to go back to my own experience. It's what I have. It's my experience. When I got saved, before I got saved, all I wanted to do... To, and this is the, this is, this is the truth... I've told you this before. My philosophy of life was I hate everyone I don't know and I hate most people I do know. That's the way I live my life. That was my experience. I hate everyone I don't know and I, I hate most people I do know. My plan, my plan was when I graduated to move to Virginia... Okay, my father was in Virginia. I wanted to move to Virginia, get enough money for five acres, put a big old fence around it, hopefully get married and... Basically keep as many people away from me as possible. I mean, interact, have to live my life, but I wanted to be like, y'all leave me alone. Okay? And then I got saved. And my plan was to go to Virginia. So I went to Virginia, but I got saved. And all out there was like cows and chickens and stuff like that where I was. And I was, I was killing me. I wanted human beings around. I needed to tell everyone that what, who this Jesus was. I wrote, I journaled. I don't, I'm not a journaling kind of person. I journaled so much then because I had no one else to talk to. I wanted human beings to be around so I could tell them about Christ. That's all I cared about. I couldn't get home fast enough. I just had to figure out a way to not look stupid and get home and go to college so I could go be a youth pastor. That was my goal. But man, all I wanted to do was talk about and think about and and tell people about Jesus Christ. That's what I wanted to do. That's what she wanted to do, man. She wanted to get back. She didn't care about her past anymore because Jesus just dealt with that. Now she wanted to get back and tell everybody about this guy who was just incredible. He, she... She, she was changed and she was on spiritual fire. She came and she saw, okay, now here, stick with me on this one. She came to the well and she saw and now she wanted everyone else to come and see. 
She wanted, she wanted everyone else to come and see. She's like, she's like, this guy was amazing. He knew, he knew everything about me. He is a prophet. He is awesome. He's the best. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. You've got to meet this person. And she, everybody else is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is her enthusiasm. They're, they're all, they all went out to meet him. Why? Because enthusiasm is contagious. Because truth and enthusiasm mixed together is contagious. Enthusiasm actually means entheos, which means God in. It's the ability to see God in a situation that makes it exciting. The very word means entheos, God in. She saw God now, she saw Christ now, and she wanted to tell everybody. And enthusiasm is contagious. And so now they're all fired up. They're all fired up. They, they, they come and see, which is important, they come and see you're excited about your faith, right? Someone go, woo woo. Okay. Let's, 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 wait, wait, wait. You're, you're fired up about your faith, right? Let's all say, woo together. One, two, three. Woo-hoo! All right. So you're all fired up. You go out there and you start living your life that way. And people say, I want to go to Grace Chapel. You're so fired up. You go, woo all the time. I don't know. I don't go, woo at all. And so I need a little woo in my life. I'm going to come to church with you. Right? They come to church with you, but then something happens. Then they come and see and they encounter Christ and they are fired up and they say, I'm glad you invited me, but I don't believe in God because you invited me now. I believe in God because I experienced, I have had an experience. I have encountered a living God and now it is my faith. Thanks for inviting me, but man, I understand it all now. And see, they see they're, they're all in. They're all in. I want you to bow your heads with me as we close. I have a question for all of us, including myself. If, if we've come to know him, think about this. I want you to think about this. If you have come to know him, and if you have seen the power of God at work in your life, if we all have seen the power of God at work in our lives, how can we possibly then, my friends, keep it to ourselves? When you have an encounter with Jesus, then you've got to ask yourself, if I'm, not, if I'm keeping it to myself and never sharing with anybody else, I'm not questioning your faith. All I'm asking you is, do you, 1 Corinthians 5, 13, 5, it says, test yourselves, see whether you're in the faith. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless, of course, you fail the test. 2 Corinthians 13, 5. We've got to ask ourselves, if we are not sharing our faith, if we don't want to share our faith, if we have no enthusiasm about our faith whatsoever, how can, if we have seen... Okay, if we have come to know him and we have seen his power at work in our lives and the lives of others, how can we possibly keep it to ourselves? It should motivate us to share the love of Jesus Christ with everyone around us. To talk about him. To live that out in every area of our lives. Father, I, I pray with all my heart that we would take this story and realize that when we have an encounter with you, our lives are changed And because of that transforming power that you have in us, that you have now placed in us, 
that we would desire, that we would be motivated, that we would be inspired, that we would have that enthusiasm to go and share with other people. And Lord, if we don't, I pray that you relight that fire. I think there are a lot of people in this church and churches all over the world, Lord, who know you and have seen your power and they've just let that flame burn down a little bit. I pray, Lord, I pray that you'd pour gas on it. Lord, I pray that you would just inflame us to love you more, to serve you more, to share you more. That we would be like this woman. When given the opportunity and Jesus started talking to someone else, she just ran back and told everyone about her experience with you. I pray that we would run out of this place today, Lord, and in some way, in some way, whether it's at a restaurant or with our family or with our friends or in some way, that we would share the love of Jesus Christ with someone else. Through, a, through, through, a, through telling people we'll pray for them, through sharing the gospel specifically, through living our lives in such a way that we encourage other people to want to know what we have and they don't, that they would come to know you. We love you, we praise you, we thank you. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. If you need prayer, if you have questions, there'll be people up here who can pray with you.